Hi, my name is Haley Grove and welcome to Dear Dance. I'm a professional dancer living in New York City and I'm searching for balance in and out of the studio. I think experiencing your life and nurturing all your creative passions ultimately enhances a dance career. So I'm speaking to inspiring performers and industry professionals about their relationship with dance and their other passions outside of the performing arts world. I'm connecting with dancers who decorate cookies, develop their own film, build websites, make candles, teach fitness, write poetry, and people who are changing the fabric of our industry, all while dancing their butts off professionally. I'm on a mission to discover the keys to a long creative career. So let's take this journey together, advancing our dance careers, expanding our creativity, and experiencing all the joy this life has to offer. Hello everyone, welcome back to Dear Dance. Today is a very special episode. I'm so excited. I have Jason Patel here on the show and this is like the coolest thing ever because not only is he an amazing dancer, I'm going to show you a video of him dancing at um, like this amazing big space that I'm blanking on the name but he'll remind me the Kennedy Center I believe like that's a big that's a big deal (laughs) that's why I'm like overwhelmed whoa um and not only is he an amazing dancer ballroom dancer tons of different styles he's traveled all over the world dancing learning the dances in the places they were created which is so cool he is also doing amazing work for dancers and is running for congress so like whoa i'm just so excited to talk to him share his whole story and learn about all the stuff that he's doing to help the dance community both in his artistry and in his policy making so let me share this video of him dancing and then we'll bring him on in because this is a podcast you can't see the video but trust me it is great after the episode, make sure you head over to Essentially Haley on YouTube or Dear Dance Pod on Instagram so you can check it out. But while I have you here, let's hear from our sponsor. I am so excited to share a new sponsor with the Dear Dance family. If you've been here for a while, you know I love tea. And in the past few years, I've really gotten into iced matcha lattes. However, it is not a great idea to pump your body full of sugary caffeine five times a day. Did you know nutritional experts recommend refraining from caffeine six hours before going to bed? As dancers, it is vital that we take care of our health, so I was super jazzed when Samey Tea reached out about being a sponsor. Samey Tea is organic edible green sencha powder, and sencha powder is full of antioxidants and has a fraction of the caffeine found in matcha. This is because it's grown in full sunlight. The whole green tea leaf is ground into a fine powder that you can easily use to make a nutritional, low-in-caffeine drink. Samey Tea has a range of products including roasted brown rice powder, which is a great alternative for coffee, organic green sencha powder, and a water-processed decaf version. I've been loving the decaf sencha tea when I get home from work with some oat milk and a little honey, and I even have one of those little frother things. It is so delicious. Visit groundgreentea.com referrals and follow the steps to create your account. Choose my picture and order some green tea today. You will get loyalty points and an additional 5% discount every time you shop. 
Check out the link in the show notes to read more about Kiyomi and her incredible company and get a discount on your order of Samey Tea. If you purchase through my link, you will help support the show while adding a tasty nutritional drink to your life. Amazing. And that's only just a small clip. I'm going to share the full video um, in the show notes and in the video description because not only does he dance beautifully, but he shares a lot of the history of all the dancing. It's just an amazing, it's an hour-long performance that you can watch the full thing of, but I even learned so much just watching the first bit of it, and it's gorgeous. So, without further ado, let's bring him in with a round of applause. Yay! <laughs> Hello! <laughs> Hello. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about this. Yes. Okay. So first thing we're going to do, we're going to jump right into the craft. We did a little pre-crafting beforehand because we realized it might be crinkly. And I'm a little nervous about this craft because it's, it's on the more advanced, complicated side, but what we've done we've prepped our little paper so we're making paper roses i saw my mother's someone, name is rose so this is perfect my great grandmother's name was rose so crazy i saw someone make these beautiful roses with like old book pages and i thought hey let's try it and it's it's a little it's a little scary to me so you start off with just a regular piece of paper square piece of paper and then we folded it into one triangle a smaller triangle and then an even smaller triangle so we already did that to avoid crinkling your, your ears and the first thing we need to do is we get our scissors and we're going to cut from this part over here, so we're making a rounded edge right here. I probably could have done it better, but it kind of makes a heart when you open it, but mine's a little not so great. But you know, we're, that's the whole point of these crafts. Perfectionism. Yeah, and we're both dancers, right? We're, neither of us are. Yeah, we're not professional, we're not professional rose makers. So, you know, be <laughs> gentle with us. Please don't, please don't uh, judge our roses too much. We're probably going to just quit our jobs and go professionally into making uh, paper flowers. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that's our path in life. Sorry for all the work you've been doing on your uh, uh, that's, that's all my congressional entire run. life. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, you know, guys. I had to leave to go into flower making. Yeah. Your true calling. Wow. This is a very involved craft. I really was bold picking this one. What are the normal crafts? Well, there have been a few that were a little insane i had someone make a resin coaster which was kind of toxic and very intense um and then there have been some that were just like making christmas cards so there's a range of just you know mm. i decided to get really wild with this one <laughs> do you have any crafts that you do regularly to pass the time or any crafts uh, that you picked up during this pandemic? So in terms of handcrafts, probably not. I am, when it comes to my art skills, construction arts or arts you make your hand have tended not to be my strong suit. So I always joke that the, the worst grade I ever got in my life was in the first grade in handwriting because my handwriting as a child was simply atrocious. Oh no. And, and that kind of <laughs> led into you know drawing or sculpting or anytime i tried to you know, make something with my hands uh, it tended not to go particularly well 
So that's why, you know, dance was an amazing outlet for me because it didn't require making something with just your hands. You used your entire body, and I was much better at doing that. So I'm going to say this craft was a success for us. Yours looks amazing. I feel like you you. could have people wear that at weddings, put it on a – you could wear that when you win on your jacket, you know. It's going to be great. I'll have to save it just in case. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, thank you for come. indulging me with this this crazy craft. Now that no we problem. have we have totally thrown perfectionism into the air, let's talk dance. I would love to hear how you started dancing and your whole journey with dance because you've had a journey. You've traveled the whole world dancing. So tell everyone this story so the the quick dance story so a little bit about my family so we're a mixed family so my mother's family is mexican my father's family is jewish and so on the mexican side my grandmother really loved latin music so she was always listening to salsa music to merengue to cha-cha music and one of my first cds i ever had was this uh, cd called salsa fresca which was a collection of a bunch of different you know salsa songs from all the pop artists of the day and you know as a kid I didn't really have much music it wasn't like today where you have you know a click of a button you can access any song anywhere we were limited to the the cassettes and the cds that we had so I must have listened to this one cd thousands of times over the course of my childhood and I just fell in love with the music and the artists and when I went to to college I just happened to get the opportunity to start taking classes in it because my college offered some classes in in social dancing and it was the first time that i'd really gotten into it because i'd done it a little bit as a kid at at family things or at at social events but the first formal classes i took was in college and as like anyone from a you know latino family can tell you the type of dancing you do at like family functions is very very different than the type of dancing that you learn inside of a studio so taking those formal classes in college is what really got me into it and i helped start our our first ballroom dance club at Williams College where I went to school. And we started contracting with, there was a retired teacher who used to teach Argentine tango who lived in my college town. And so we brought him on campus once we could teach Argentine tango classes. And then there was a retired Blackpool winner. So if those ballroom dancers out there know Blackpool, we had a winner from Blackpool living about an hour away from, from college. And we brought him in once a week to teach the more competitive style ballroom classes. So that was the kind of intro. And then after I graduated from college, I joined my first competitive dance team when I was living in New York City. So I was living in New York City after college doing AmeriCorps program. And then I would go to Stepping Out Studios, for any of those who knew New York City on 26th Street in Chelsea, to take classes in, in salsa and bachata and cha-cha. And I eventually joined their competitive Latin dance team. And we did a bit of traveling around the country and world doing uh, salsa routines and then the, the more I did that the more I just fell in love with the idea of traveling for arts and culture which led to me I lived in, in Argentina for a while to study tango I did an exchange program in Cuba to study you know salsa song rumba casino um, I went to Brazil for a while to study uh, zouk fajo and samba so I just kind of leaned into that that arts traveler lifestyle and that fit into my my day job which for a long time was doing development work. 
so helping U.S. companies invest in developing markets overseas. So I always tried to tie in my work trips with my, my dance trips as well. Yeah, that is so amazing. What is your favorite? I mean, I know it's it must be really, this is a hard question. Do you have a favorite, I'm going to say a favorite memory from traveling and dancing so that you don't have to pick a favorite country where you dance. So <laughs> this doesn't mean that you don't like the other places, but what was one of your most memorable experiences learning dance in other countries? Hmm. That, that, there's, there's so many. That, that, that's really hard to narrow down. I, I would say one of my go-to stories that I tell about traveling abroad for dance, and to me it's really a good example of how dance and the arts in general are just such powerful tools for bridging cultures. I went on a trip to uh, Nicaragua, and I was staying in a tiny little village outside the capital called Aduce de Nombre de Jesus. And I will never forget that it was like a five hour journey on you know the back of a pickup truck. We, we get there and there's a group of boys there who are super excited to greet us because you know, they don't have a lot of interaction with Americans. And we're, we're very tired because it's, it's been a long journey, but they put on Pop down their boombox. And remember, this is the middle of nowhere in, in, in Nicaragua. There's one light bulb in this entire village. Give you an idea about how you know, out there it is. Wow. They put down the boombox, they hit play, and it's bye 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 by NSYNC. And all the boys in the village knew the whole routine. They busted out, you know, for those of you who know the video, right? All this stuff and like the jump, jump, jump. They knew it oh, all, and they were so proud to show us that hey, we know your culture. <laughs> and then you know, later on, we we put on some some salsa music, so I I could do a little bit of you know, the stuff that they grew up doing. And it was just it was a beautiful moment before we'd even spoken any words, just bonding over the love of dance and the love of culture. Yeah, but I love one of my that. favorite travel memories. Wow, it's so true because dance is such such a universal language it is it's its own language and, and you can connect with people even people who aren't professional dancers it's I love that dance is such a worldwide medium and that everyone can participate you don't have to be a professional dancer to enjoy and benefit from dance because you learn so much more from dance than just steps you learn communication trust skills on picking up moves and memory there's just so much music uh I love that. That is so cool. Yeah, and it's it's so tied into culture and people's perceptions of who they are in a way that I think is underappreciated in the U.S. Like uh, one of the reasons that I, I picked you know Argentina as a place to live for a while to study tango because for people from Argentina, tango is not just it's not a dance. It's it's a it's a part of their history. It's part of the way they view the world. When people sing those tango songs, there's a deep sense of like nostalgia and yearning and when people dance you're trying to put that feeling into movement and then when you're in a big room with other bunch of other people who know that history who feel it very deeply there's something just deeply powerful that you cannot replicate in any other way besides music and dance and i just love being able to see that throughout my travels and i wish i saw that more in the u.s i see it some places but i definitely feel like the u.s is not a place that appreciates the arts and dance in the same way that I've seen in, in other countries. And I'd like to be a part of, you know, helping address that. And yeah. Make so that. 
A hundred percent. And it's interesting because I feel like with TikTok blowing up, it's it's a it, as much as you can you can kind of like pew pew TikTok dances and stuff. It has brought dance more into American mainstream culture and absolutely. It it's. I think that that's a great thing, and and I hate the term like, oh, they're just a TikTok dancer because anything that gets people to dance, I think, is amazing. I've seen high school boys on like sports teams who would never have been comfortable dancing, doing all these silly dances, and I I don't know, it's 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 a weird a weird balance, but I'm like maybe that's a path that is that is happening. And then maybe the more the more deep dance and that it's it's an, a door that can open people's eyes to that. So that that's something that's uh, that I think is really interesting. <laughs> a- ab- absolutely, I definitely am very grateful to. So you know, as someone from an older generation, so I'm I'm 39. So TikTok is a little bit you know younger <laughs> than I am. So I didn't I didn't grow up with it. So I'm definitely not as in tune with it as you know as the younger generations are. But I still see like when I was a kid. You know, growing up in the 80s and my my hero for dance was always michael jackson and my parents have had pictures of me trying to do michael jackson <laughs> movements when i was a little kid and i just love whenever his videos came out i would try to mimic his steps and that was seen as i don't know if cool is the right word but michael jackson was you know the, the king of pop at that time and everybody wanted to try and do those dance movements and so you know the, the TikTok craze of you know, spreading dance just feels like a next step in the technological evolution of that. Now we don't only have access, you know, once a week when we happen to catch the latest Michael Jackson video on TV, but now anyone has the ability to share, you know, their their love of dance. So I think yeah. there is a, a bit of a generational difference, but I'm I'm so grateful for, you know, t- whether it's TikTok or Dancing with the Stars or any of, you know, the, the more, maybe they can be argued that a little bit on the more poppy side, but they're still uniting people across barriers with a love of dance and there's something very beautiful about that yeah a hundred percent so i know right before covid you put on a dance festival what was that all about yeah so one of my my big loves for partner dancing because i'm a partner dancer at heart with ballroom and latin i i love that connection aspect and creating with someone else. I do like solo dancing, but I get more joy out of building something with a partner. So that's why most of the dances that I studied throughout my life are partner dances. And at some point, if you study enough partner dances, and at one point I was teaching about 25 different styles, this is a a lot of different styles of dance, you start to see similarities and overlaps and techniques that work in one that could be transferred to another one. And so there's this movement in partner dancing called fusion dance, which you could have a whole discussion just on fusion dance. So I apologize to any fusion dances. We're going to cut this real short. <laughs> but one of the basic ideas is that it tries to mix techniques in styles. And so I wanted to host a festival in that, you know, with that mindset. So we brought in teachers of a bunch of different styles to share their thoughts. Okay, how could you incorporate you know, Latin hip motion in a smooth dance? how could you incorporate salsa spinning technique in a waltz right not saying that you would ever do that in a competitive standpoint but just as like mathy people like doing logic puzzles this was like the dancer version of a logic puzzle it's like expand your brain what can you figure how can you try to mix different things and see what works and what doesn't because ultimately all of dance comes from that 
it's people bringing in their own experience, mixed, you know, mixed lives, adapting to their own experience to what they learned and changing it a little bit. Like art is fluid. It changes throughout time and depending on who touches it. And so this was like a micro version of that. So we called it the Unity Fusion Festival, all about bringing together these different styles and different instructors from different styles. Wow, I love that. And especially with with styles that have such strong technique, that's something that is so cool because I, I feel like that's something that sometimes the the big important people in the world of these styles, whether it's ballet or, you know, a different, there, there's kind of a, ooh, like, no, we have to keep ours pure of what it is and then it's not that. But then you see things like contemporary ballet or like, hip-hop styles and street jazz that have combined and it's just magical what you can do when you combine things so I love that you did that with something that is so very structured and individual to what it is and gave the opportunity to just create because that just there's there's that's the recipe for magic right there so that's so awesome yeah and and two here because there, there definitely is still a place and an important place for those rules and structure so I can do an amazing fusion dance with somebody who has you know, background in the same skills that I do, but there's a time and a place for just doing a strict waltz. And I don't want to bring in anything else. I just want to put on you know, a beautiful classical waltz and just do reverse turns around the ballroom and do nothing else. And there's, there's something fundamental that, that touches my heart that way. So I, I don't want to ever take away from you know, the, the original dances and where they came from because I do love those. But I also love you know, stretching boundaries and trying new things. So I, I don't think you have to choose one or the other. I think you can have both. And I do think it's really important to have those people who are you know, preserving the knowledge of the past, but also have people who are you know, pushing the envelope forward. And we, we both need each other. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And that's so important for so many more things than just dance. That is like the recipe for just growth in general. So I absolutely love that. Okay, it's time for our first game. Let me get my little... Oh, fancy. Yes. (laughs) All right, it's time for Would You Rather. And if you're watching live or if you're watching the replay or if you're listening to the audio version of this, definitely let us know. You can comment on YouTube and we'll be able to see what you pick. Um, And Or you can message us and let us know what you would pick. So let's see what we get here. Ooh, okay. Would you rather fight off 20 duck-sized unicorns every time you go to the restroom or have your knees eternally glued together? Well, I think as a, as a dancer, I would have to choose the, the fighting part because gluing my <laughs> knees together would severely limit my dance capabilities. So yeah. I, think, I think by default, I have to go with that one. Yeah, Despite my, like my dislike of fighting things. So. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't, you know, like they're little unicorns. Maybe it's more just like a little like, and then they just, I don't know if they're flying unicorns. I'm not up to speed with the latest unicorn skills, but maybe they'll just gallop away with a little rainbow. So maybe it would be And hey, it would be proof that unicorns exist. So there's, there's some positive So many benefits. Yeah. So I Great get to keep dancing and I get a unicorn. So yeah. And your legs will be so strong if you have to be kicking all the time. I think that's, that's a great choice. Tough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next one. Would you rather spend the rest of your life trapped inside a yellow balloon or have to wear wet socks inside dry shoes every single day? As much as I dislike 
wearing wet socks, and I, I hate wearing wet socks. I will have to go with that because I, I love experiencing the world as we've talked about, and anything that limits my capabilities to do that, such as being trapped inside a balloon, <laughs> would be very difficult for me. Just having, during this whole COVID experience, you know, being very limited on traveling abilities, or even just interacting with people abilities, has felt very difficult for my soul. And I think on, on that level, I'll have to pass on the, the balloon thing. Yeah. So wet socks, here I come. Yeah. Okay, last one. Would you rather have everything you touch turn to ice or feel dizzy every time you lie down? Ooh, neither of those is ideal. I guess I'll have to pick the dizzy when I lie down because I'm a very tactile person, as I think a lot of dancers are. I know anyone who out there has ever seen the movie Amelie. It was one of my, my favorite all-time movies. And there's a scene at the start where she's talking about how her sense of touch influences how she feels. And there's a scene where she sticks her hand into this huge bucket of dried beans and just talks about you know, the magic and how that makes her feel. And that's something that I identify with very strongly. So losing my sense of touch by turning everything to ice would just be devastating for me. So, 100%. Wet socks and dizzy when I sleep is, and fighting unicorns, apparently. Yeah, I think those I are great my... choices. <laughs> and I'm also a huge Amelie fan. Wow, I never hear <laughs> anyone who knows Amelie, so this is very exciting for me and all other the Amelie main theme fans. So that is a waltz. Oh, the waltz very to Amelie. Cool. <gasps> very cool. And I have danced to that, and I highly recommend it. And that's an example of a song that I would, I would just want to do a strict waltz to that. Yeah, I wouldn't want to try and tone anything different just because I I love how that that song sounds. And oh, it's just perfect. I can hear it in my artist. head as it's oh so beautiful. I would love to hear a little bit more about your passions outside of dance, and then I would also love to hear about your future plans and everything that you've been doing. I'm sure it'll all tie in together, but let's hear it. What are some of your passions outside of dance? So I'll, I'll save the, the politics and activist stuff for us for a second. We'll, we'll say that for last <laughs> because that's going to be a much longer topic. But as, as far as other passions outside of dance, when I was going into college, I was actually an English major when I first went into college because I thought I was going to be a poet. I, I got into college in, in large part thanks to my English teacher, uh, Mr. Vale. If you're out there, Mr. Vale, uh, thank you who pushed me to uh, apply for some writing awards, specifically for fiction and poetry. And I won a couple national awards actually uh, in poetry writing. So that kind of guided you know, my, my creativity during my, my early years into college. And I still write. Uh, most of what I write is very personal. So I don't tend to write it for others. Uh, uh, I have shared a couple publicly that they, they tend to be centered more around the dance. And I, and I wrote one during the pandemic about how uh, it feels very isolating to not be able to connect with people. So I, I do that a fair amount, uh, whether that's you know, fiction or, or poetry. I really enjoy that. I'm a huge sports fan. Like I grew up in Los Angeles, so I'm a huge Los Angeles Lakers fan. I grew up okay. here, so I'm allowed to be. Uh, yes. <laughs> But like some of my favorite memories from childhood are like watching games with my father and grandfather. Um, see what else? I, I love to sing. I'm definitely not a professional singer, but I am I am pretty good, and I, I enjoy uh, 
some of my volunteer work for a long time was I would go to retirement communities. And my grandmother loved Frank Sinatra. So I, I really enjoyed doing Frank Sinatra impressions. And so I would go to some retirement communities and sing some Sinatra or you know, Cole Porter or Dean Martin, you know, the, the big band cruiser type stuff. And I've even been doing that now as a volunteer you know, through my, my campaign work. You know, I volunteer at you know, homeless shelters to, to sing. And it's definitely not something I'll ever imagine getting paid for, but I do love to do it. And you know, being from a Latino family, I do enjoy singing English and Spanish. Uh, so, and I would say then last thing I can think of is because I'm in LA, I'm a huge movie buff. One of, one of my prized possessions is an original 1977 release, a New Hope poster for Star Wars. So one of the original posters wow. that was in the theaters in 1977 when the movie came out. I have one framed on my wall. That That's one is of my, so my favorite cool. possessions. Wow. So general movie fan. But Could you pick a favorite movie if you had to, or is that just impossible? That is so difficult. But one of my go-to ones is I often say when I get asked this question, Moulin Rouge. Because I feel that Moulin Rouge, more than any other movie I've seen, is an unapologetic love letter to music, art, and dance. Mm. Like, is, is it the best movie in the world? No. Like, it's a little cliche at times. Is the music the best? No. Are the singers the best? No. But you can so clearly tell that everyone involved just loves music, loves art, loves dance, loves color, loves magic. Like this believes in those you know, silly bohemian ideals of freedom, beauty, truth, and love. And there's just something that, that touches my artist's heart at a very deep level that when I watch that movie, I'm just like, yes, these are my people. Yeah, 100%. I actually got to see that in Bryant Park in the free movie night this summer. It was the first mm -hmm. like large gathering, I guess, that I've done since the pandemic and it was it felt like such the perfect thing to to go see in the park it was amazing so i'm right there with you with that one so i would love to know how you started getting involved in politics and how this journey has been for you and why you're so passionate about making change and especially helping dancers in this community yeah, so this is a bit of a longer story, so I sort of kind of want to talk about the other you know, passions yes. first. So community service has always been a part of my life. My my uncle, when I was a kid, was the head of the local Rotary Club, and he was super involved in all the different community service days. He used to I used to sleep over on his couch, and he would you know wake up in the morning and take me at 6 a.m. to go plant trees somewhere, or he you know, would take me to Universal Studios in the back lot to... You know, be on a water station for you know, an AIDS run, things like that. And he was always telling me, you know, hey, Jason, it's important to give back and understand that, you know, you're not the richest person in the world. Like, I don't come from a wealthy family. Both my parents are you know, re retired you know, public school teachers. So we don't come from wealth. But, you know, I always woke up with food, you know, food on the table and a place to sleep. And that meant I was privileged. And it was really important for me to recognize that and to give back from, from day one. And when I went to college on that trip to Nicaragua that I mentioned, that opened my eyes to kind of true poverty. Like I've seen poverty in the US, but that was my first experience with like children digging through piles of garbage in garbage dumps, searching for the one bottle to recycle for five cents. So their mother could walk five miles barefoot 
to go to the recycling center to recycle it so they could finally get some beans to eat. Like, that was poverty at a level that I'd never, I didn't even understand that that could exist. And so coming from you know this childhood where I was really trying to be involved in public service, and then I saw this, I felt so ignorant. as like, I clearly don't understand the world. If this thing existed, I had no idea. So that kind of put me on a path to, after college, I went uh, and joined AmeriCorps, which you know, puts you know, young people in you know, nonprofits around the country. And so I worked in education nonprofit in New York City. I eventually joined uh, that organization full-time as a grant writer, trying to understand, okay, I see the service side, like how is this sustainable? So how does the money work? Right? How do the logistics work? How does the policy work? So I learned that on that side. And then I still feel, felt like I didn't understand. So I went and got my graduate degree in public policy to help me understand the economic side of this. You know, how do you know, big companies affect me? Because I walked by a factory in Nicaragua and didn't understand how I was involved in that. So I decided, okay, I need to study like international relations, economics, public policy making to figure out you know, how, I under, how I can better understand this world. And so the, the more time I spent with that, the more I learned and the more connections I made with people. And throughout all of this time, I'm still dancing because that is my, you know, that is my connection to people. That is how I, I see the world. <laughs> um, and so keeping those two things together has always been a really important part of my life. And I got really into it uh, about five or six years ago when I started organizing dance. And so I was that weird person who by day I would be giving you know, presentations to CEOs about, you know, starting, you know, how do we want to, you know, invest in public electricity in Nigeria? That's an actual project I worked on. Um, but then in the evening, I would be organizing salsa dancing and, you know, trying to find the balance between those two worlds has always been an essential part of my life. And they first really came together uh, when the Me Too movement, you know, became really popular and, as any dancer can tell you, it is an unfortunate reality that there is a lot of you know, sexual harassment that happens in the arts community. Like everyone knows the name Harvey Weinstein, but you know, that's just the top name that everybody knows, but it happens at every level in every art style. And that's something that I've been involved for a very long time in as a you know, supporter level. But I started to take a leadership role when people in my own community started vocalizing that, hey, they've been victims of this and they want someone to speak it on their behalf. So along with some other friends, I started stepping into that public advocacy role for you know, addressing harassment in the arts. And then when COVID hit, that turned into, because of my government and policy experience, I had a lot of friends come to me and say, hey, Jason, can you help me get a PPP loan? Or can you help me navigate the, the government grants process? Because I know you have experience in this. And so I did. So I became a resource for my dancer friends, not just on the harassment side, but also for the engagement with government and funding side. And it was about that time that my own business, because I pre-COVID, I supported myself in two ways. One, I was you know, uh, a freelance consultant. So I worked with a lot of people who were doing these investments in other countries and you know, I helped them write reports, do research, you know, think through their ideas. Then on the side, I taught dance and I organized dance events and I you know, did things like this festival. So I had a very weird job for many years and it became very difficult to continue to support myself through the dance and the event side because of COVID and you know, partner dancing is pretty much the worst possible thing you can do during a pandemic. <laughs> so when my, my business shut down, 
I took a long look at you know what comes next in my life, and I, I definitely believe that the universe kind of guides you and pushes you in the direction that you're meant to go. And I've just been doing so much work around the advocacy side for dance, and I've also been involved in politics for a while, uh, you know, door knocking and things like that. And the op came up in my hometown, where there was you know an incumbent who was you know not the most popular person in the world, and people when I started talking about what comes next, they're like, hey, Jason, you know, you're uh, you know Latino Jew in one of the heaviest Latino Jewish districts in the country who loves and is a professional artist in a city that is one of the you know international hubs for art uh, so this seems like it could be a really you know, nice summation of your whole life to try to do something <laughs> like this so after a lot of self-reflection and a lot of thinking about does this make sense for me i decided that yes i think this does and so i'm trying to be the best advocate you know not just for the arts but for for my community you know, whether that's you know my my Latino friends and family, much the Jewish community, you know, working class folks, you know, anyone who lives here, I want to be a voice, but I obviously have a special place in my heart for the arts community, whether that's here or national. And to my knowledge, and I hope someone will correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know that we've ever had a professional artist in Congress before. I've done research on that. I haven't found someone, so if I'm wrong, someone out there please tell me. But I don't believe we've ever had a professional artist in Congress and it's about time. Definitely. And I I think that it's so, so important to have those two sides of your brain and the knowledge that you have from the policy work and, and giving back and then your creative artistic side. And a lot of times those worlds don't cross over. We don't have really a voice we were talking off camera before we started about how even just today there's been a post about dancers in the Super Bowl are getting asked to work for free and it's like they don't have someone to go to 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 say hey this isn't right are you going to help me it, it feels a bit like the wild west sometimes in this industry and then especially during COVID with so many opportunities getting just wiped out and not even knowing the knowledge or knowing who to turn to to ask for help I feel like there is such a a split between oh you're a creative you're an artist you don't need to know the the other things and it's at the end of the day we're all people we're all humans trying to live on this globe and I think artists make the world better and and hopefully policymakers and politicians are their job is supposed to help all the people have a better life and a better experience so you have the same mission so I think it's so mm-hmm. awesome that you are going down this path because that can only be a stronger ultimate human going forth and and looking out for people because it's it's that that separation is so so clear and the pandemic made it so clear of the the haves and the have-nots of both knowledge and resources so I'm very excited to see everything that happens for you and hopefully things will work out (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, without following me, hashtag Jason Potel on, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yes. But I, something that you just said really resonated with me that you've experienced during the pandemic. And I know so many of my artist friends who lost their jobs or who are now working in things that are not their passion because they couldn't support themselves through, you know, through their, their love anymore. And yet 
we all collectively survived or continue to survive the pandemic on the arts based on the collective experiences that the arts have been able to provide for us, right? Whether it's something as potentially silly as Tiger King, right? Or, or Squid Game or TikTok dances, or I love watching all these, you know, families make music videos with each other singing silly songs about the pandemic. Like the arts have been what have kept us sane throughout these past two years. Like without you know, streaming services, what will we have all been doing right for the past two years? <laughs> and these are artists. These are filmmakers, these are cinematographers, photographers. These are artists, right, who are reaching out to that human part of us that we recognize we are, we are in isolation. We're missing human contact. And these artists are providing that for us. So... <laughs> as much as we've almost disregarded the arts during the pandemic and watched all these artists, you know, get priced out of their jobs, yet we're relying on the arts to keep us sane. And there's just a fundamental disconnect there that really upsets me, both as an artist, but as a person, as a policymaker, as a potential policymaker, that we need to be doing a better job of supporting the people who are keeping us mentally sane. Yes, a hundred percent. It's it's so, it really you, is and wild. Do a better job of supporting it. Yeah, and it's and it's also like there are people who have degrees who have dedicated their life, who have put in the time, and it, and artists of all types should not be fighting to pay their bills, to fight and have a million other jobs just to survive in these big cities where the opportunities are like new york and la it's just so much of it feels so backwards and so it's so refreshing to to hear someone like fighting for for artists and dancers because a lot of the times it doesn't really feel like anyone cares to fight for us because you're just replaceable we'll get someone to do it for free and the number of horror stories that i've heard especially with harassment i mean there's just so much with with the money with the with the correct working conditions with the taking advantage sexually and harass like there is just so much and it so often as an artist feels like you are just like flailing and figuring it out because there's no common thing to help you so yeah, I, I'm right there yeah. with all of that. <laughs> Two things that, that made me think that I, I really want people, if, if you're listening out there, to realize that, that that kind of mindset is a conscious decision that we've made as a country. And if you don't believe that, just look at some place like South Korea right now, which South Korea made a conscious decision to invest in their arts community, which is why so much of the world, whether it's film, like when Parasite, right or whether it's in tv show like squid game or music like bts right there is a reason that korean culture is so widespread around the world that is not an accident that was an intentional choice by leaders and policymakers in south korea to invest in the arts community and create an environment where artists can be you know, supported and thrive so that is not an accident that is a conscious choice and i want to see us in the u.s make that same conscious choice Right. And so it, it's 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 not an accident. Is what might want to be. There are things we can do yeah. to directly address that. Um, and it's also it, it frustrates me sometimes because it is fundamental to how we view this country. Like this isn't a, a something that was, you know, oh, art kind of came along, you know, in the U.S. Our founding fathers, like you know, John Adams has a really famous quote that that I love, and I hope I wrote it down somewhere. 
Um, but he said, you know, I need to study politics and war. So my sons have the liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. My sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, music, tapestry, and porcelain. But acknowledging that the ability to study and thrive in art is a gift that we need to be giving you know, our, our children and future generations. And if I can show one other of my, my favorite artsy quotes for all my artsy policymakers out there, JFK has one of my favorite quotes of all time where he said that the life of the arts, far from being an interruption, a distraction in the life of a nation, is very close to the center of a nation's purpose and is a test of the quality of a nation's civilization. Like when we go back and we study, you know, early civilizations, what do we study to learn about them? We study their art. We study their language because that's what persists from a culture after it passes away. But that art tells us so much about who those people were, what they viewed, what they valued. And I feel like we've lost that to an extent in the U.S. And I want to be a part, a small part of bringing that back and you know, helping support those artists who are doing that creating and, you know, and building that legacy. You know, what does it mean to be you know, a person in the United States? Yeah. Wow. Oh, I got chills thinking about that. So it's so important. We're so essential to culture and to the world. And oh, yes, go arts. <laughs> that's that's. If I could sum it up, I just have to say go arts because it's it's just so it's so important. So thank you for the work that you're doing for fighting for us for giving us a voice. Yeah, it's it hopefully inspires even more people and even more creatives to get involved in policymaking and getting involved in understanding what's happening in the world because it can be very much like blinders on I'm focusing on this next audition I'm focusing on this and I always say yeah. if you don't know about the world how can you create art it's, it's a balance that goes both ways we have to understand what's happening in the world and be active and help and be a part of social justice and also that will help us in turn create art that can help people heal from things going on like it's just so connected so hopefully this will inspire so many more people to get involved and to help us have a better standing and a better path forward so yeah, yeah. the world would be a much better place if we had more artists making policy decisions <laughs> totally because like, like you said uh, a community that supports the arts is a community that supports social justice because fundamentally art is the creative expression of what it means to be a human. Like respecting art is a validation of that person's human experiences. And that is essentially what social justice is, right? It's just recognizing the humanity in other people. And I can no better share with you my humanity than by showing you my art, but by showing, sharing with you my poetry, my music, my dance. That's the deepest expression of who I am as a person so a society that supports artists is a society that supports social justice and supports you know, social change and supports you know, a livable wage for people and supports universal health care. Because like, those all go into that same idea of just supporting what does it mean to you know, embrace people as people. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Okay. It's time for our last game. Uh, a little bit less of a game. <laughs> <laughs> So we have some mystery questions. I'm going to pick randomly one of each color, and then you can pick which one you want to answer first. 
So okay. let's see what we get. Pick a color. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm a blue is my favorite color, so let's go with blue. Okay. How do you relieve stress? Hmm. That is a really good question. So there's a lot of different ways. So pre-COVID, I would have said uh, partner dance, and it wouldn't even have been close. That for most of my life, that has been my main form of stress relief. Because again, as a very like tactile person, there's something about you know dancing with someone, letting kind of yourself kind of fade into them and fade into the experience of like the music and the crowd that just you get this sense of belonging in a way that's hard to create in a different way. So that was always my de-stressor. But since COVID has made it very difficult to do that, I, I've had to find other ways to de-stress. So I've leaned more into my singing recently as, as a way to de-stress. And, you know, there are some songs that you just real really feel at a deep level and you kind of belt those out and you're like, okay, someone at some point wrote this song, they knew what I was feeling and I'm going to kind of channel that and identify with that and kind of try and they got through it and so can I. Yeah, I love that. Okay, next color. Uh, let's go purple. When you were little, what did you want to be? So we, we talked a little bit that I thought I was going to be a poet for a little yeah. while. Um, I also thought I was going to be a math professor. So I, I, I love, love math. One of my most influential teachers, so there was Mr. Vale, who was my English teacher, who got me really into writing poetry. And there was Miss Mills, who was my seventh grade math teacher. And she gave me a book on math puzzles as extra homework, which for most people sounds like, why on earth <laughs> would you ever do this to a child? But she saw in me that I really loved this stuff. And so like, I went home and was doing extra math problems for homework. Cause just because I, I love I love the beauty that, that math can present. Um, and so I thought I was going to be a math teacher for a while. And I you know, did study math in college, but eventually the, the kind of social justice and the desire to understand the world kind of over overtook that. So mm -hmm. I, I still love math. You know, we play those like jackpot games with my family and I always went on the math things because you know, I, I, I love math, but you know, it's not where life went. Very cool. <laughs> Next color. Pink. Have you ever had candy for dinner? Oh yeah, I mean I, I think <laughs> any professional artist, absolutely. Like you're you're driving between gigs, and it becomes a question of what can I find in the car, right? Like what's under the seat, right? Because um, that was 100%. definitely part of my life where I was bouncing from event to event. Yep, sometimes it's a Twinkie. Sorry. This one is a little crazy. Would you rather eat cat food or dog food if you had to? <laughs> well, I have had both cats and dogs as pets. And I would have to say the cat food smells a little worse. I'm not, I'm not sure why, but dog food tends to not smell as pungent for whatever uh -huh. reason in my experience. So I'd probably have to go with the dog food. Cool. <laughs> and the last question that I ask everyone is what brings out your most creative self? So I, I thought about this one because she told me about this one before. Oh, another one of my favorite quotes um, is actually by uh, 50 Cent, who okay. said during an interview, he said, when a person decides to be themselves, they offer something no one else can be. 
and that just really rang true because like, you know once you decide to be honest to you you're being something that even if someone else tried to they can't be you because they're not you so trying to be authentically you is the most creative thing that you can be and so that's something i struggle a lot with you know i felt a lot of imposter syndrome you know, whether it's you know, going into being an artist or now running for office you know who am i this person to you know, think i can make a change in the world but you just have i just have to keep telling myself that because i am a unique individual i have something to offer that no one else does and as long as i'm true to that i'm being the, the best version of myself that i can be so wow. most creative when i'm authentically me i love that no one has ever said anything like that before so that was a first that was awesome amazing well where can people find you how can they get in touch how can they follow your campaign and support you please yeah so the, my website i think is on the screen right now it's hotelforcongress.com is my political website but we're also on uh instagram uh jason hotel we're on twitter jason hotel on facebook we're jason hotel for congress please feel free to reach out to me on any of those platforms i love hearing from artists I love hearing about what you're doing, what struggles you're facing, how can I help? I want to be a megaphone for the artist community during this race. So please reach out. Awesome. And important information that I feel like sometimes people don't know. When can people vote? When is the voting for this? Because I feel like it's very often the presidential campaign people vote and then the midterms and all these other things people just are like whatever it'll just happen absolutely so when yeah, when so, is the day <laughs> so if you live in the los angeles area specifically in the san Fernando valley or malibu uh the our election is june 7th of this year so okay. that will be the day you can vote but if you don't live in the area right i still want to hear from you i still want to be a voice for the national arts community because you know It'd be nice to have you know, an elected official who's an artist from Los Angeles, but if I'm blessed enough to be that person, I want to be a voice for the arts all across the country. So even if you're not in my district, I would still love to hear from you and what you're doing and what support you feel like the arts need. Amazing, definitely. Everyone, go check this out. Do your research, make sure that you are actually doing the work to vote so that you can actually have a voice instead of just being upset when things are are crummy out here so definitely everyone get involved um, if you would like to support this show definitely subscribe to the youtube channel essentially Haley. i'd love to get to a thousand subscribers one day it's a slow journey but i'm on my way um, and then definitely check out the instagram for the show dear dance pod um, or if you want to follow my personal dance instagram you can find me at Haley grove and then of course subscribe to the podcast version of this show dear dance on apple spotify pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts and the last thing i have to plug is the patreon once we get to a hundred patrons we're going to be starting the dancers dream grant program which means i'll be donating one dollar per patron to a dancer every month who has a creative project that needs funding so if we have 500 patrons that's 500 dollars a month to a dancer who might want to hire a videographer or rent studio space or pay their dancers to do an amazing project there's so many ways that dancers need support and money to have this career because it's a very expensive career so definitely if you support the show you'll be supporting 
dancers all around the world. So those are all the things I have to plug. Thank you so much for being here. There was just so many gems. I can't wait to, it's going to be really hard to pick quotes from this episode because I was just like listening, ears wide open. So thank you so much for sharing your time with me. Thank you for having me. Of course, this was awesome. And hopefully we will see you in Congress. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Have a great night. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Dear Dance. If you enjoyed the show, it would mean so much to me if you could share it with a friend. Screenshot the episode and tag me on Instagram at Dear Dance Pod. It's so fun connecting with listeners, so definitely check us out over on Instagram. And if you want a triple platinum superstar award, leave a rating and review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This really helps give the show street cred on podcast platforms. Again, thank you so much for being here. I'll see you next week for a new episode of Dear Dance.